we acknowledge First Nations people as the traditional custodians of the land on which we work in Australia, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. Hello, and welcome to Ashurst Business Agenda. My name is Bob Walker, and I am a director in risk advisory at Ashurst. This is the second episode of our mini series about trends in workplace health and safety. And in this episode, we'll be discussing the future of work. And, and I recognise that that's a, a really broad topic and we'll, we'll try and bring that down and put a lens on it around, uh, particularly around, around safety. And joining me today, I have Trent Sevens, who is a highly experienced lawyer within the Ashurst employment team and was at the forefront of providing advice to clients in what was a, um, a once in a lifetime set of circumstances that have unrolled over the last couple of years. And I think it'd be fair to say that as a result of Trent's work and Trent's efforts, he, he has the uh, undisputed title of King of COVID internally. So thank you, Trent. Thanks for joining us today. Also joining us is Siobhan Casey, who is a director with ACS and has been at the forefront of helping tech entrepreneurs over the last several years navigate what is a, an incredibly changing and fast-moving technology landscape. So thank you for joining us, Siobhan. So the future of work is such a broad topic. And so to try and bring that down a bit, I thought, I actually thought something that happened yesterday, and as, as we all know, yesterday was, was Mother's Day in Australia, and my children returned home uh, uh, dutifully to um, to celebrate with their mother. And we had we had dinner last night, and I was talking to them about the podcast that we're and the conversation that we're having today. And and it struck me that um, my, my son is an electrician, and my my daughter is a nurse, and and both of them don't get that opportunity to work from home. The type of work that they do, you can't do from home, and so. I think today's conversation is really around relating to knowledge workers and the technology and the change and the, the rapid change in uh, what we all saw in that knowledge-based workers working from home. Given the conversation I had with my children last night, it's probably worth thinking about having another conversation around this, around what that actually looks like for those people that the world still changed quite dramatically but not in the way that it has for knowledge workers. I mean, I'm sitting here, my substantive position is in Sydney, but I'm currently in Adelaide and I'm still doing my job. And I think we're seeing more of that. And I'd like to explore some of those types of, if you like, new normals, next normals, hybrid, all of those sorts of things that, that has been bandied around and particularly around putting our safety lens over the top of that. So that's where I'd like our conversation to go today. Uh, Trent, from, from your perspective, given what you had to do really being at that fr- the, the tip of the tip of the spear, if you like, almost two years ago now or two years ago now, what were some of the key lessons that came out of that that your clients learnt the hard way and or really quickly? The experience was effectively across the board in sort of all sectors of the economy and for all of our clients. Um, you've mentioned that you know the future of work and the sort of perhaps more enduring changes coming out of the experience from the COVID-19 pandemic and our shutdowns. 
uh, might be more pronounced in knowledge workers um, or professional spheres. Uh, but we certainly saw across the board that there was shutdowns of businesses, even those who just simply cannot do their um, their work and businesses cannot operate if everyone is from home. We, we saw them moving into that phase. Uh, and agility, I think, is the most um, sort of significant lesson, at least in that first phase, and being able to cope with uncertainty. So from a work health and safety perspective, and also in relation to employment type matters, um, that included just how to deal with this uh, new phenomenon, which no one had ever experienced before, uh, and being able to apply the usual principles of risk management and putting in place risk control measures for the entirely unexpected and for most employers, the unplanned for. What we've been through previous pandemics of SARS and avian influenza and swine influenza, we haven't quite had that hit Australian shores quite in the same way that it did um, with COVID-19. And I think the lesson to draw from that perhaps more broadly is that if we were to face such a significant either industry specific or perhaps even economy wide um, safety related, because that's really what it was issue uh, in the future, it is trying to have emergency management plans or um, contingency plans or at least systems to be able to deal with that just unexpected, which is easy to say, planned for the unexpected, uh, and then trying to implement it is a very different thing. But I think that's that's likely the lesson of having those standing arrangements in place if, if businesses can do that. It's funny, I just want to jump in with what Trent had shared. The, what my experience was that, that scalability, you know, those large corporates often had some of this black swan event planning in place, you know, you know, um, moving call centres from other locations, particularly in Southeast Asia, to onshore within, you know, 48 to 72 hours. It was actually all the smaller businesses that just hadn't even, you know, war-roomed, shall we say, you know, 30 employees, 25 employees, like, gosh, you know, how do we do this? And I think they were the ones that actually were um, most uh, challenged. Very much so. And I, I think I had a similar experience in that, for my sins, one of the things I look after is business continuity management. And I was working with a client who called me in early in, in 2020 and said, hey, look, we have a continuity plan. It's about 500 pages long and we just can't really get it to work, right? And so we sort of, we just stripped all that away and said, what is, what's important here? What's critical? What's going to keep the doors open? What's going to keep people employed? And let's build some planning around that, um, that 500-page plan came down to about 22 pages, right? So it was giving them exactly what, what you spoke of, Trent, giving them some agility, some the ability to be able to move. We didn't know at that stage in the early part anyway that we were going to have a number of waves of this and we were actually going to get almost back to normal and then jump back into being locked down again. So we, we went into, in, into that. And, and Siobhan, during that particular process of consenting it from 500 to 22 pages, Technology was at the forefront, right? It was about what's the technology that you need to continue to, 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 to use your business. And what we heard from the exec was that that digital transformation, which was a five to 10 year journey that they were on, actually came down to about five weeks. <laughs> and I wonder if you've got similar experiences around how quickly that journey changed 
So my uh, area of uh, focus with tech entrepreneurs is really at that front end of emerging technologies and and, um, businesses solving real problems using that tech infrastructure. So I kind of laughed initially or smirked initially, um, probably laughs an exaggeration, but when people challenged us, you know, can you work from home? And I sort of smirked and said, you know, tech entrepreneurs, you know, work on the bus, on the train, work lying down. Um, the, the location is not important. Connectivity is ubiquitous. So all the teams were geared to be connected and on seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day. That wasn't the issue. So they easily mobilized and moved remotely and, and worked um, on you know, chat channels and whatnot, which is, again, quite prevalent in tech startups or tech entrepreneurship. Um, what was the harder part was that really lovely ideation, which happens much better when you're face to face you know, whiteboard, jam boards, you know, kind of constantly moving your product forward, um, which is not as easy to do when you're doing remote work. That was probably the first part. And then, you know, the second part when it comes to safety, which I think we've seen after this long tail, is the the mental strain and the emotional side of um, fatigue and, you know, where, where do we get to decompress, um, which has been an interesting part, not just for tech entrepreneurs, I, I think for the workforce more broadly. I, I, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think for me, but that shift to working from home whilst you know, professional services, that had been something that we'd been doing for a lot, but for a lot of sectors, it hadn't been. And so what it raised was the trust issue. And can, I send, can we send you home? And from a safety perspective, can I trust that you actually have a, have a good chair, that you're ergonomically sound, you're not working off your ironing board, and that you are logging on and doing some work? Because, you know, we start to look at trust and we look at, productivity and there's a bit of a balance there that was in the early days was 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 difficult to get right for for organizations and and we saw a few times when that didn't quite uh land in the right way and i know uh trent you had some um some some insights around that trust and productivity conversation yeah i think certainly that change to people working from home and just the lack of visibility, which I know that some um, supervisors, managers prefer to have eyes on um, their workers to see that they're being productive, that there was a mental shift in addition to the physical shift uh, and the technological one, which was effectively accepting that um, there couldn't be a version, at least in the usual sense of presenteeism, that there, there had to be trust placed in workers to be able to achieve the goals that were given to them or the work tasks that were given to them uh, and that they would work in together as best that they could um, remotely um, or from their lounge rooms or home offices and that they would still be able to achieve the outputs without having that sort of direct supervision. Um, So I think a a shift in both the ways of working but also ways of supervision and and management and perhaps we might see a permanent shift in that in that you know the hours of the day the traditional working hours of the day for some sectors or occupations might shift to a greater focus on simply outputs or achievements I I know within certain uh, occupations already that is uh, the primary goal or the, the primary Manager, but I think we'll see that sort of devolve to to other sectors and and um, lower layers within businesses as well. There's definitely been an increase in people's email signature saying I might send emails outside of work hours. It doesn't mean I'm asking you to look at it or action it. I don't know whether that's been your experience, but I've seen that in the last few years because people, you're right, Trent. People are definitely getting back on the tools with balancing family and um, homeschooling commitments, a whole range of things that everyone had to juggle. 
Yeah, and you, you mentioned as well the mental health aspect of all that. And I think we have lived through a period, and, and I imagine with hybrid working going forward, we will continue to live with it, which is um, that we have people who are working from home. I've heard that cast as living at work as the alternate, which is that I'm, I'm, I'm never away from work because work is my home and therefore being able to actually disconnect and to have some boundaries around what are my working times, when am I working? And for those who have enjoyed the flexibility of being able to work at times of their own choosing, that there's not then a, a sort of reciprocal obligation or expectation that they will just constantly be online and um, be choosing to be online at all times. Uh, we've seen that certainly overseas, that that issue come about. France has a right to effectively disconnect or log off. Whether or not we see that promulgated in other jurisdictions, we wait to see. But I think the lesson from it is um, being able to respect those boundaries and that people should be able to have them for their own mental health and being able to disconnect, decompress is going to be important. Because we've certainly seen that rise of mental health issues during the, the pandemic and perhaps afterwards as well, as people come to realise I actually was quite stressed or overburdened or uh, I didn't enjoy that experience as much as perhaps others did or were able to cope with it. I thought that was just because they were responsible for homeschooling, not working from home. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> well, can I, can I put to this to you both then? So we've seen recently some organisations actually say to their staff that um, whilst your job might be in Sydney or Adelaide, um, up to three months of the year, we're quite comfortable for you to live and or work overseas. But I just can't get my head around it, right? I, I'm old school and I've been used to going to the office for 40 years and for all of a sudden someone to say, well, you can go to London for three months out of the 12 months and work there on that time frame, provided it works in your with your business and with the projects that you're on is just amazing. So what do you both then see as some of the absolute advantages for that and what technology is going to be needed to, to be able to do that? How do, we, how do we continue that trust conversation and where, where's, where's our safety responsibility, Trent? The move to a hybrid model, if I can describe it as that, so partly working from home or from some other location overseas in some idle or working in a traditional workplace, I think that will be the future. We've certainly seen COVID-19 and the pandemic very quickly accelerate that, that move. But I think it's fair to say that employees and their wants are probably ahead of where employers are currently at. Uh, and I was reading a um, Microsoft Future of Work report. They've set up a, a study on this, which from um, various literature surveys, uh, including a Stanford University study, it reported that 46% of workers preferred a hybrid model with 32% wanting to stay fully remote and so never attend a workplace with a UK study being even higher than that they found it 59% of people wanted to adopt a hybrid model uh, but the employers are lagging behind employers only around 40% of them are planning on a hybrid model so I think the the want is outstripping the the, the meeting of those requests um, so there will be a, a dance I think which um, plays out amongst various employers and depending upon what sector you're in, uh, you will have different parts of your workforce who are able to work um, from home or work remotely and others who just simply can't. You might have to manage uh, the cultural impact of that. But I think as well, we will need to 
think very carefully uh, about um, those safety responsibilities that you've mentioned. What, what are our safety obligations to employees working remotely, both from their physical safety, and you've mentioned some of the home office ones working on the ironing board or at the kitchen table, the ergonomics, the other factors like just simply tripping over or checking electrical cords, those sorts of things, through to the mental health ones of just becoming more isolated or, or disconnected. And it's quite clear that the obligations will extend um, from the employer to its employees and other workers uh, when they are working from home, regardless of, of whether they're in the office or not. And I think as well, we'll, we'll need to say on the employment front, some other changes come about that permits that flexibility if it's possible, uh, as well as working arrangements. And we're starting to have discussions around uh, the, the reason for people coming into work, whether or not there are anchor days, uh, making the time in the workplace much more meaningful when people are back in the workplace. Yeah, just off the back end of Trent, I was just examining that initial process two years ago. We were very much in an adrenal process and we quickly pivoted to working from home. We got all the tools to trade to be able to facilitate essential work. And then that's been now, you know, an aspiration for many to have a percentage, as you've shared, Trent, about, you know, hey, I'd love to maintain that. And I think perhaps we're lagging in um, some tools to help ensure that we reward people you know, remotely rather than having to have that sort of normal kind of quarterly thing with teams huddles, at, you know, once a quarter. The, the other component about the three months, perhaps, um, Bob, that you've uh, shared overseas or in remote locations, traditionally, I mean, the, the benefits of, of that to me are quite strong. Women are one of the highest participation. Um, the biggest age bracket is 45 to 55, where women are the highest percentage of females in the workforce. And yet they're also the, the biggest age bracket, which is um, drawn to support an aging parent. So the ability, you know, if you had a parent living in another country, you could perhaps maintain your employment or reduce your firm hours, but still be in a home environment, you know, helping to um, administer, you know, care day by day for an elderly parent, which would ensure from an employer's perspective, they would be in a better position to maintain that talent rather than perhaps lose that because obviously family commitments um, come before our job. So I think there's some options that employers could look at it from a different perspective, um, but I do think we've got to evolve our tech tools to broaden that work experience to help um, deal with some of those mental stresses and um, decompression. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and so there is certainly a well-being component to this and the use of technology to assist in that. I know that I did a review early on in the piece for several government agencies, and, and one of those was a corrective services agency, when obviously when we couldn't allow face-to-face -face visitations to occur, they actually pivoted to using iPads to facilitate visits. And, and what came out of that was just unknown um, uh, well-being benefit because the, the person who had lost their liberty now wasn't just getting a visit from an individual who was sitting across from them, but was actually seeing their, their significant other in the home. They could see their car or they could see their dog or they could see other parts of their life that they couldn't get. And so that had a tremendous well-being impact on that population that was that was incarcerated. And I believe that, that's a, that, that that was just an outcome that nobody thought of. It was just amazing. And I think that is going to, in some way, shape or form, continue. You'd think that the stress as well of travelling to and from work, particularly in big cities where there's lots of traffic and we all you know sit in the car from 5.36 in the morning, that's got to be an uplift that people aren't every day having to go through that. 
So they, they, I think we've got to look at the balancing point of the benefits. Yeah, and I think just to add, I think just to add to that, Bob as well is we've sort of likely heard in the press of the great resignation phenomenon. I'm not sure that's quite um, been the Australian experience, but certainly in the, the US and parts of Europe, it has. And I think part of that is uh, that people are starting to see the benefits of those new hybrid models and also thinking about whether or not their employer will commit to them in an, in an ongoing um, way or not. Uh, and, and if they're not going to do that, then perhaps they vote with their feet. And so I think that touches on both mental health and wellbeing more, more generally, but also that phenomenon of whether or not people do make a, a lifestyle choice that they'll change jobs uh, rather than stay with the current employer who's not willing to embrace either a hybrid working model or that increased flexibility and different ways of working or you know, coming up with tech solutions to permit that to happen. So one more question, or and probably the hardest question of them all, what, what, what's it going to look like five years from now? What does the workplace of the future look like? And what is the technology that's needed that's going to support that to be able to do that in a safe way that considers people's well-being and, and uh, psychological health? What, what would we expect to see? It's a it's a great question. <laughs> um, I, I think we're already seeing uh, trends emerging from leading from my particular area in tech. So um, that sense that you can be based anywhere, you don't have to come into the office one day a year. You know, at the the far end of that with Atlassian, I think what you're going to see is a repurposing of um, office locations, which had traditionally been characterised by, you know, small amounts of meeting rooms, lots of desks. And it'll be much more collaboration and iteration and ideation kind of spaces for people to come together and generally problem solve, collaborate, um, you know, reward collectively, um, you know, praise in public, storytelling, those sorts of things to inspire team members rather than replacing simply a desk at home for a desk in an office environment. I think you'll see a lot more uh, emergence of those co-working locations for for not just entrepreneurs, but potentially other services um, that people can come to, so clustering of services in co-working locations. I think, you know, the the flexibility of home and work, I I hope that sense of cooking meals from scratch, um, you know, we've got more time and we can do things better. Um, we're not going to have everything out of a jar or a bottle or delivered from menu log um, five days a week. So I think that we'll see nuances that move forward. I hope that we maintain it. I hope that in you know five years' time, we're not back to this expectation of being seen in an office um, and, and back to those trends that Trent referenced, you know, presenteeism, because I've got to be here and I'll just stand at the water cooler for 30 minutes and shoot the breeze about what happened on Netflix. Um, so hopefully we continue with a balance. That would be my aspiration. Yeah, and I agree with all of that. I, I hope that the future does hold, that we are coming to work for meaningful experiences, including that we're coming together to both um, storytell, uh, work together in a collaborative way um, and be creative, and that it's not just a return to presenteeism, uh, and that the tech solutions that, that assist when we're not together um, aid us to, to be able to do that once we go and separate again. I think the other lesson, which is sort of where I started, 
Bob, it seems as though, unfortunately, respiratory pandemics are part of a cycle, uh, and I've, I've named the ones that we've gone through over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, we do, unfortunately, have to plan for there being a, a potential further pandemic, whether that's a respiratory one or something else, uh, and to plan ahead for that. So I don't want to cast a pall over our discussion, but um, from a safety perspective, planning for that is going to be important and that we we don't forget the lessons um, that we've learned um, over the last two years and apart from the very positive things um, the, the tech changes the, the flexibilities the dropping away of, of you know meetings for the sake of um, just being in the room together uh, and hearing each other talk but not being very productive uh, hopefully all those are enduring uh, but we also learn those sharper lessons of the pandemic as well and not forget them Wow, that was a very quick conversation. All well, the time seemed to get, get away really quickly on us there. I thank you both for, for uh, coming together and sharing your insights today. For me, it's been really insightful and really, really refreshing, actually, to sit down and, and listen to uh, a couple of people that are at the, were at and still are at the forefront of uh, managing and helping organisations manage their response to what was a uh, once-in-a-lifetime incident. Really appreciate the insights and the effort that you've given in, in coming on today. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Bob. And hopefully I can abdicate my monarchy as king of COVID very soon. <laughs> Prince of the pandemic, I thought you said, Brett. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>